From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Christians in a Politically Divided Country. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with Galen Carey, NAE Vice President of Government Relations. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, President of the NAE, here with Galen Carey. As the NAE Vice President of Government Relations, Galen is responsible for representing the NAE before Congress, the White House, and the courts. He works to advance the approach and principles of the NAE publication for the health of the nation, which I'm sure we'll discuss more in depth in this conversation. Galen and I co-authored the book, Faith in the Voting Booth, Practical Wisdom for Voting Well, in 2016. But before becoming a member of the staff of NAE, Galen was a longtime employee of World Relief, the relief and development arm of the NAE. He served in Croatia, Mozambique, Kenya, Indonesia, and Burundi. His concern for the vulnerable has driven his advocacy on behalf of the NAE, and he's just wonderful. Everyone I talk to in Washington, D.C., who works with him says he is the perfect person for this job. Galen, you have... uh, wealth of knowledge and unique perspective, being an evangelical advocate in the nation's capital. And I'm just really glad we're getting to share some of your insights here today. Thank you. It's an honor. So Galen, it's kind of hard to know where to begin. You work on so many topics and you have so much knowledge in this space. I guess there's a sense that uh, right now, this uh, generation, this decade, this time, Uh, there's a sense of extremes and that the extremes have gotten more extreme in Washington and around the country, particularly in regard to politics. So is that just my read or is that your sense as well? We've been through tough times before as a nation. Uh, There were some moments in our early years where elected officials actually got into fistfights or spit in each other's faces. And of course, there's nothing that compares with the tragic divisions of the Civil War. But in in recent times, I think it's clear that the quality of our political discourse and statesmanship, or lack thereof, is is, uh, in decline. And it's very regrettable. A part of this can be chalked up to our technological advances that fragment our uh, journalism and social media and so forth that allow citizens to filter out challenging messages in favor of reinforcing their own biases in media silos. The big influence of money and even foreign governments also plays a role. So how much appetite is there in Washington to work across these political lines? Are people doing that? Do they want to do that? Or do they just have this dig in your heels mentality? Most people go into politics and public service because they want to make a difference. Along the way, they find that they are pulled into conflicts as they face the competing demands of their own constituents and different interests, even within their own parties, as well as across the aisle. Uh, This is, in many ways, no different from the challenges faced by pastors and denominational leaders. Over time, we see some political leaders becoming jaded and cynical while others get discouraged at their inability to accomplish their goals that brought them to Washington, and they eventually decide not to run for re-election. I've heard many senators and representatives privately say 
this is not the best job I've had, or I didn't come here to Washington just to sit around and do nothing. Uh, most of them can make a lot more money in the private sector than in, in public service. And so they want to do what's right, but then they find it's hard. Talk about how Christians fit into all this. There's often a sense that, okay, here are the extremes and here's politics as usual or maybe worse than usual. But the, as Christians, there's a difference that uh, Christians are not the same as everybody else. So uh, are Christians just like everybody else on the extremes or is there something different? As Christians, we're called to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, and to be peacemakers. So we should be very different from others. Uh, in principle, our political engagement should bless our nation. Of course, we often fall short of this ideal, particularly concerning uh, when we allow our politics to shape our theology uh, rather than vice versa. And we've seen polls indicating that this, in fact, happens with a number of our current public policy concerns. When we look back in, I was going to say American history, but actually probably all of history, there have been segments of the Christian community that say, we're going to have nothing to do with politics. We're not going to be in the public square at all. And then other segments of people of great faith that really want to get engaged. So give some advice on, on the proper place. And I guess this is sort of a, an underlying philosophic question, the proper place in which politics should exist in the Christian's mind and experience. Christians should be guided above all by their allegiance to Jesus Christ, to the biblical principles and to the kingdom of God, to justice and righteousness. We often uh, find that we either uh, want to just stay in our own little communities or we want to control everything. And in fact, our role is to bless our nation by upholding biblical principles. When I read the newspaper or watch the television, or especially um, every couple of years with the political ads that I see on television, I find myself thinking about civility and have uh, other people talk about it. Actually, I sometimes think that the whole topic of civility kind of gets marginalized in the tsunami of everything else. So here's the question for you, and that is how can Christians actually model civility, biblical civility, and especially any practical ideas that you have for how we average people can do that? We can start by taking time to get to know people who disagree with us, whether politically, religiously, or culturally, and sometimes that might even be people in our own families. But look for ways to cooperate on mutual concerns, because it's a lot harder to be uncivil with people when we know them personally and when we're working together on shared objectives. I think a key challenge for us as Christians is to be people who speak the truth. This certainly means articulating our own beliefs and positions, but also it means not misrepresenting the views of others. Too often we see advocates present exaggerated caricatures of their opponents' positions, and then we also see selective use of data to prove our own points while obscuring or ignoring contrary findings. All right, let's get into some specifics here. Um, 
we have our For the Health of the Nation publication, and that guides you and the NAE in advocacy. In fact, at the end of this program, I'm going to share a promo code that all of our listeners can use and get a free copy of this. But before that, just give us an overview. What what are the themes, the topics uh, for Health of the Nation? For the Health of the Nation offers a broad and biblically-based vision for why and how Christians can be involved in blessing our nation and our fellow citizens through civic engagement. It looks at biblical teaching, starting with the creation of human beings in God's image, with a mandate to cultivate and develop what God has given us in communities characterized by justice and righteousness. It emphasizes the importance of careful study as we consider the best policies to promote, and it urges that even then we approach our task with humility and civility, recognizing that our knowledge is at best partial. It acknowledges the blessings that we enjoy as citizens in a representative democracy, and it calls Christians to active and thoughtful engagement in public policy, even as individuals in politics. It then outlines eight principles that can guide fruitful evangelical engagement. And those principles are protecting religious freedom and liberty of conscience, safeguarding the nature and sanctity of human life, strengthening marriages, families, and children, seeking justice and compassion for the poor and vulnerable, preserving human rights, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, promoting just peace and restraining violence, and caring for God's creation. That's a lot of topics. So is this like 1,000 pages or 2,000 pages? How big is this book? It's We boil it down to about uh, less than 50 pages, uh, half page size. So it's, it's something that can be read in one sitting. Well, it's purposely meant to be succinct, uh, but uh, it, at the same time have a comprehensive range so that is not just on one or two issues. Okay, this version of For Health and Nation is sort of 2.0. The original version was published, created in 2004. So just give us a little bit of background. What started all this back in 2004? We actually started, I think, in 2000. um, Evangelical leaders observed that our political engagement was sometimes passionate and enthusiastic, but not always guided by biblical principles or by solid analysis or Christ-like character. So over a multi-year period of consultation and reflection, uh, our leaders came to a consensus on the approach that's outlined in For the Health of the Nation. There's also a companion volume entitled Toward an Evangelical Public Policy, Political Strategies for the Health of the Nation that goes into more detail for those who want to take a deeper dive. That one is a doorstopper. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so um, the update, the, the original published in 2004, a few years leading up to it, and then the update in 2018, is it mostly similar or are there significant changes? What, what's How would you compare them if you put them side by side? We've added some uh, further language clarifying our understanding of marriage being a relationship between one man and one woman. That's always been our understanding, but the cultural and legal changes in our nation since 2004 make it necessary to be 
completely clear on that point. Then there's also additional material drawing out the implications of our principles on immigration and refugee policy and a complete new section on racial justice and rec reconciliation. Okay, so there's an addition. Apparently, the you, know, you and your colleagues and the editorial advisors um, saw a need to make a totally new section on racial justice and reconciliation. Why did they do that? I, I guess I want to ask why did they skip it the first time, but most of all, why was it added? The original version had a section on human rights, which included uh, the issue of racial justice, but we thought it needed more attention because our country, and to some extent the Christian church, remain deeply divided along racial lines. Certainly progress has been made, but there's so much more that needs to be done. So we wanted to lift up this important issue and encourage all Christians to, re to pray and reflect on how we can overcome the institutional dimensions of racial injustice, which remain deeply embedded in our structures of our nation, even when personal relationships across racial and ethnic lines may have improved. All right, so here's the question. It's like, who is this for? You know, I mean, there are restaurants that target certain types of uh, restaurateurs, and there are TV shows that are for some people, but they're not appealing to everybody. Um, it, you know, there's a sense, I guess, in which for health the nation is for everybody. But what, what's the target audience? Who, who's this about? For the health of the nation is directed specifically to evangelical Christians. And we hope that it will be a valuable resource for churches to use in their Christian education, discipleship, and small group ministries. We also hope it will find a place in the political science curriculum of Christian schools and colleges. And we hope it will be a witness to our fellow citizens, uh, even those of other religions or none, and that they may find in it an irenic call to a vision for a healthy uh, nation that they may share, and beyond that, a witness to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ alone. All right, the practical side of this, coming back to our earlier topics, you know, how do you engage as a Christian uh, politically, and, and how are you civil? Um, will For Health of the Nation help people to do that? Does it get them to turn off cable TV long enough to sit down and, and read a booklet? Well, some of our readers may already be practicing this approach, and it may just uh, reinforce uh, these principles uh, in their minds. But for others, this may be a fresh way to approach civic engagement. So we encourage all Christians to read the document prayerfully, to interact with the material, and to ask God to show them how he would have them to respond. So the old adage is that in the publication of books, there is no end, and there are other things that sit on the shelf that are guides for Christians and for public policy. Uh, some of them are very much tilted toward one persuasion or another. Um, but what's different about this? So, you know, if you talk of all the options that are out there, how does For Health of the Nation differ? How does it stand out from all the rest? Well, you're right. I have a whole bookshelf of such books in in my office. Uh, I think what what I like about for the health of the nation is that it is succinct. Uh, it's something that an average person can find time to read and study. 
And it's also biblical, thoughtful, and nonpartisan, well, for such a short document being relatively comprehensive. So it presents a, an agenda that's not, perhaps not fully embraced by any political party, uh, but that speaks to the spirit in which we should engage as well as the issues that should be addressed. Uh, we don't have uh, a particular party line that we're trying to advance. We want Christians to be Christians and to think in a Christian way about these issues. All right, if there's a Christian way of thinking, um, it, you know, I, I would think, I would hope, it would be different from the rest of the culture. Uh, recognizing, of course, as Christians, we're, we're, we're in the world and not of the world, so there's some things that need to be countercultural that maybe if somebody totally is into the culture and they see for Health of the Nation, there are some things that they either say, wow, that's really good and different, or they're going to bristle. What, what's countercultural about what's in for Health of the Nation? I think all of the issues in, in some way or other are countercultural, which is why they're in there, because there are things that need to be addressed. Uh, many of the issues that we discuss are issues on which our nation is sharply divided. So things like religious freedom, which used to be universally supported, now is seen as suspect in some communities. The sanctity of life uh, has in some ways growing support, but it's still very much a matter of controversy. And, and marriage, of course, is an issue that uh, on which we have very sharp disagreements within our society. Uh, things like caring for the poor uh, are widely accepted, but there are still deep divisions in how we approach that. And racial injustice is quite a volatile issue, as is caring for God's creation. And as a nation, we all want peace, but we have very different ideas about how that should be achieved. So I think in many ways, there'll be something for everyone here to uh, struggle with and try to understand how they um, relate to these biblical issues. I think that's a really good point and good observation. And I can think of other examples. So there are people who say, yes, I believe the Bible, but then they have disagreements of their interpretations of different different parts of the Bible. And, and you've described it well. Yeah, maybe this is getting personal, but how do you navigate these challenges? You talk to someone who is a committed Christian and agrees with peace and the poor, but they really have different views of how that should be acted out, and especially in legislation and politics. How do you deal with these different people and these different perspectives? How, how do you navigate them? It's often not easy, especially when we find that people disagree and they feel strongly about the issues. If they just disagree, then we can just look in a dispassionate way at the facts, uh, such as we understand them. Uh, or if they just feel strongly, but they um, don't so much disagree, uh, that that can work. It's when those two things come together, it's often difficult. So what we try to do is we try to remain to maintain a respectful relationship with people, even when we disagree. We recognize that we could be wrong in some areas, or we may not have all the information as well as, as them. And then we try to also identify areas where we do agree, where we could work together even when we don't work 
uh, maybe have a way to work together on the thing we disagree about. Then we try not to misrepresent or mischaracterize the views of others, uh, and that over time tends to build more trust and respect. So listening to what other people have to say and seeking to understand them, that goes a long way in navigating these differences, right? Yes, indeed. And it doesn't always uh, it doesn't always result in us coming to a common position, but oftentimes we can agree to disagree dis and to do so agreeably. And I think in many ways that's our challenge as a nation is to live together despite our deep differences in so many areas, but to do it peacefully and constructively. All right, let's circle back to your experience on Capitol Hill. And you talk with and you know all kinds of people, staffs and members of Congress and the administration, of course, I mean, all these folk. I, I don't even quite know how to ask this. Do they get it? Do, do, do they understand what we're talking about? Do, do they have a sense, or at least some of them, of the agenda of for the health of the nation? What we find is that uh, most politicians can find something in for the health of the nation that they agree with in an area where they want to work with us, uh, but other areas in where they disagree. So there is probably no member of Congress who endorses every point in our agenda. Uh, so what we do is we work with uh, our leaders where we can. Uh, we sometimes challenge them to rethink things. But in general, we don't really have much success in getting someone to totally change their minds. That's more the job of the voters. The voters are the ones who have the most influence with their member uh, when they personally meet or talk or call and share their point of view. I've seen that have a dramatic impact. Uh, sometimes on the positions that our politicians take. For the health of the nation, uh, it seeks to be biblical and uh, and rooted in what the Bible has to say. But let's focus in on one particular part of the New Testament and talk for a minute about the beginning of Second Timothy two, where we as Christians are instructed to pray for those in authority. Talk about that. Sure. All of our leaders deeply need prayer support. They've taken on uh, enormous challenges uh, that are physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining. And so they need our prayers. And they are always grateful when we offer to pray with and for them. I've yet to have any member of Congress turn down an offer of prayer. And they're often deeply grateful. In our church, we pray for our leaders every Sunday. It's part of our regular liturgy. Uh, we should pray for our leaders as politicians, but also let's pray for them as people. They have families, and their families also pay a price for their public service. Uh, these days, most politicians leave their families back in the home state or district. And they fly to Washington to do their business, and then they go home on the weekends. So there's family separation, which creates stresses in marriages and parent-child relationships. Uh, many of them uh, work long hours raising money, as well as uh, meetings even when they're back home. So there's a lot of stress. We can pray for that they will have uh, wisdom as they decide what to work on, what requests to accept. Uh, many of them are believers, and they need special strength 
to be true to their convictions. There are so many uh, temptations uh, to make compromises, and compromises can be uh, acceptable in a political sense, but there are times when they're asked to go against deep convictions, and that's, they need strength uh, to stand up in those cases, as well as uh, to be witnesses for the gospel with their colleagues. There are uh, quite a number of prayer groups that, and Bible studies that among leaders, and they uh, have opportunities to reach out and share their faith as well as their political perspectives with their colleagues. So we should pray about that as well. And for those who are uh, leading in different er important areas that uh, we are working on, uh, we, we also pray that they have wisdom in how they carry out their responsibilities so that they can be effective and that, so that their work will actually contribute to the health of the nation. That is really good, really helpful, really practical. So, so thank you. That was uh, just a highlight. And now for our listeners, uh, for a limited time, and just for listeners of this program, uh, let me tell you how to get a free copy of NAE's publication for the health of the nation. And I really encourage you to do this. What you do is go online and go to nae.net slash store. One more time, nae.net slash store. And when you do that, you'll see the publication there for the Health of Nation. And there's a promo code place. And remember this, uh, in that place, you write the code, which is podcast. So you heard about this on the podcast. So just the word podcast. And then you'll get a free copy uh, for the Health of the Nation. Our guest on today's conversation has been Galen Carey, NAE Vice President of Government Relations. I'm Leith Anderson. And on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Galen. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals and sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.